LL Nation, what's goody? Waiting on Malik to jump in. He just texted me about a couple minutes ago. I had to start early to make sure our Facebook Live um, people would be able to get on and see the show. Facebook, you know, they cancel if you start more than uh, nine and a half minutes late after the scheduled time. So welcome to the Lucky Lefty podcast today. We do have a change in our scheduling. Julian at war had to push back his uh, appearance on the podcast. And hopefully we're looking forward to still getting somebody, a special guest at 10 o'clock, waiting for them to respond. If not, we'll just sit back and continue to talk about things popping off in the sports world. And one of the things we need to talk about is definitely Tom Brady. We'll get into that. Um, it's official, man. Uh, you know what? Most people that I'm around, as a matter of fact, a couple of friends that I have posted a podcast we all did together when I was at uh, WGN Radio Sports here in Chicago. We did a podcast. I think Tom was sitting on four Super Bowls at that time, getting ready to go get his fifth. It was right before the Atlanta the game against the Atlanta Falcons. And we were having a discussion about quarterbacking, right? And, man, I'm interested in seeing how you guys stack up and seeing what Malik says ultimately when he gets on. So we're talking about quarterbacking. And for me, someone that played team sports, I never really pinned the blame or the praise on one individual, right? The NFL... The quarterback was not as important as it is today. The NFL made the quarterback position that important with the rules changes. And they purposely did that to increase scoring, which would ultimately lead to better TV ratings and the league growing. NFL is very, very smart when it comes to the rules committee. They don't give a darn about the players. They, they try to act like they do, but... Ultimately, it's about the green in the pocket and the ratings. So at that point in time, I remember distinctly saying, look, Tom Brady, when he came in, was a game manager and eventually grew into the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, I literally remember saying that on the podcast. I said, the one thing he could not do is come in and immediately change the arc or the trajectory of said organization because of him. He wasn't able to do that. He wasn't built to do that. He was built to come in and do what he did in his career. And as you span out over his full career and full resume, he will have the best resume ever as a quarterback. And rightfully so, he should be considered the greatest quarterback from a tra- championship standpoint, leadership standpoint, any other metric you want to talk about, right? I said, but if you want to talk about just overall persona as a quarterback, like this dude was so good as a quarterback, he changed the entire organization. I was like, that's something that he did not do from the gate. He just did. He was blessed. For me, um, 
Tom Brady and Kobe Bryant share rarefied air. And you might be able to throw Magic Johnson into that as well. But Kobe Bryant and Tom Brady, in my opinion, share rarefied air. And what I mean by that is they were able to come in and build a resume and build a legacy of winning as they ascended to the player that they would eventually become. And you don't, in professional sports, we all know, you don't get that. You don't get that opportunity. You just don't get to do that a lot of times in professional sports. And, yo, you are whatever you want to call it, lucky, blessed, touched, favored, whatever you want to call it, when athletes get that opportunity to win championships before they reach their peak as an individual player and they build their resume and they've already established a winning legacy before they become the greatest player. You know, Michael Jordan had to go through what he went through before he ultimately won and he won right there at the peak of his powers. You know, you see players like Hakeem Olajuwon who did the same thing. And uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, is lucky to come into a situation in his second year with that talent, that team that really was playoffs the pre previous two years under Alex Smith and just couldn't get over the hump. And his talent was able to get them over the hump and win. And I still think Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback in a lot of areas is going to continue to get better. Pre-snap read, decision-making, all of that is going to get better. Well, we hope so. Other than that, if he doesn't, he'll end up being uh, the new Brett Favre or the new Aaron Rodgers with all of his talent, one Super Bowl, and all of that. But to get back to what I was saying in this podcast, we were talking about uh, circa 2015 or 16, I believe. And I was saying, like, you have to separate the quarterback position because you have those that are great and they build a resume. And then you have those that were just like almost like Avengers at that position that dude John Elway came in and changed the entire Denver Broncos organization. Like you can't name me a wide receiver that John Elway threw to his first five years. And I know he went to the Super Bowl. He got beat by Doug Williams and the Redskins. He got beat by the New York Giants. He couldn't do it in the big on the big stage. That's cool. This man single-handedly changed the fortunes of an organization. Do you understand how cold you have to be as a player to come in and totally change the direction of an NFL franchise? Like the dude was, dude, he was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Was he the best quarterback ever? No. But I know one thing. Tom Brady wasn't equipped to do that. So you just have to talk about and Joe Montana, what he did in San Francisco. San Francisco has struggled for years until he came in. And let's not forget, Joe Montana did it before Jerry Rice. Because, you know, I hear people say, well, he had Jerry Rice. All right, he won with the White Clark. Good wide receiver, but he wasn't Jerry Rice. 
Matter of fact, he beat the Bengals to win his first one. I wanted to see that matchup, actually. I wanted to see San Francisco and the Bengals go up against one another a third time in the Super Bowl. That would have been dope. Uh, players like Drunk Vigo, that's a great point. Players like Mario Lemieux, like you can argue that Gretzky's better, but Gretzky came in as a youngster and had veterans like Messier already there with Edmonton. Like he stepped into a prime situation. Lemieux changed everything, yo, everything. And everybody's not built to do that. Could Gretzky have done that if he had stepped into that situation? I don't know. I don't know. But you have to show respect to the different types of quarterbacks and what they were able to do. That's all I'm saying. And in a team sport like football, a lot of things have to break your way in order for you to win a football game. That Rams-Buccaneers game, it looked like everything was about to break Tom Brady's way once again. And then Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup said, hold my beer. You know, so that, in essence, is one of the things that I want to make sure I get out there. Because, you know, I've heard people say, well, my, you know, the way I look at things concerning Tom Brady, people want to say, man, you know, Sometimes you're a hater, and it's like, I'm not a hater on Tom Brady. I'm very aware of who Tom Brady is, very aware of who he is. But at the end of the day, man, he's the greatest. He's the GOAT. He's the NFL GOAT. Championships, leadership, everything you want to talk about when it comes to the game of football, Tom Brady has done more than enough to become that GOAT. Now, this right here, to pay homage to him, Entourage is one of my favorite shows of all time. So I had to pull this clip today to play it because this right here just represents how cool this dude Tom Brady really is. This, like, this scene represents everything he is as a football player, as a man, as a teammate, and just check it out from the show Entourage, Tom Brady. What are you doing, Terrell? Oh. I got bored of eating the octogenarian, so I thought I'd join you guys. Brought drinks? Hey, thanks, Turtle. Got a good one here. Oh, damn, I forgot about you, Tom. I only brought three. I'm good. I'm used to the heat. Are you? Hey, do I know you from somewhere? Were you at the Giants Super Bowl victory parade last year? Oh, wait. Are you dating somebody? Yeah, if you can believe it. Who are you dating? Jamie Lynn Siegler. Oh, right. Yeah, and I just want to say something from the both of us. You... Jamie, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, sweetest girl in the world. But you know what? Yeah, we met at this charity event a few years ago. Giselle loved her. Really? Yeah. No, we should go out sometime. Us? Are we you and Giselle? Yeah, just come over to the house. She cooks. Giselle cooks? It's awesome. Why don't you stop staring at the guy like you want to fuck him, turtle? What? You want to get off the tea box? I'm trying to win some money here. Drive. We're done with you, drama. You're going to have nothing left but that SAG pension. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, should we bring anything? Like a nice bottle of wine or dessert or something? Yeah. Yeah. She likes chocolate. Chocolate? Yo, uh, that scene is Tom Brady in a nutshell, right? Like the reverence, the anger of Turtle being a New York Giants fan, wanting to shove the two wins against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl in his face, and Tom Brady being so cool that he totally diffuses 
all of the energy that's negative that Turtle's trying to bring his way. Brings him in, makes him feel like he knows Tom and he's cool with Tom, invites him to the crib with this girl for dinner, and then gives him some advice on what to bring as far as wine and chocolates and what Giselle likes. That's Tom Brady, man. Like, I don't care how you slice it. He's the GOAT. You cannot like the Patriots. You can talk about how he cheated. You can talk about Spygate, Deflategate, all of these things. When all the dust settles, you can't do anything but tip your cap to this man, his legacy. He is what every quarterback from this day forth will aspire to be in the NFL. He deserves all the flowers. He deserves all the praise that he's going to get today and probably for the rest of this offseason. And, you know, he has to wait five years like everybody else. He has to wait five years like everybody else to get into the Hall of Fame. But gosh darn it, if they put his darn uh, bust in Canton tomorrow, I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't be mad. If you just put, put him up in there. We know what it is. He's that dude. He's the GOAT. Tom Brady. So, so we have confirmed we're going to have, and I, I wanted to get him on the show. Malik is having some technical dif difficulties with the move. Hopefully he can get on soon. I will tell you this. We have Howard Griffith, former Super Bowl champion for the Denver Broncos and Big Ten Network analyst for college football is going to be joining us at the top of the next hour. Because I need to talk about this Jim Harbaugh situation. Because more than likely, he's gone. And he can also give us some background on Notre Dame's new running back coach, Dylan McCulloch, who has a great story. If you haven't seen it, we'll put the link to the E60 story that they ran on him in 2018 with him, his coach that turned out eventually to actually be his father, his birth father. And he known the guy his entire year. His father was his mentor, and he never knew that it was that was his father. It's a great story. And man, uh David Knight, yes, we know Troy Pryor would come on our show. We've already talked to Troy, and we'll it's up to him and his schedule. Let's see. Eugene, it's a wrap. Yes, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. He's just waiting for National Signing Day. And that's why I asked the question yesterday of, of Coach Reed that was on with us about the way Brian Kelly decided to leave and the timing and the timing of Brian, uh, Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. And he, very, he made a very astute point. Like, there is no good time for any coach to leave a college football program there never is and so for that reason you know you really have to think about it it's just tough it's tough for those kids it's tough for kids that a matter of fact notre dame picked up a commitment uh they got in late on 2023 uh 2022 i'm sorry linebacker trey reader i remember marcus freeman went to visit him the same day he went to img to see Carnell Tate, Samuel Pemba, and the other guys that they offered at IMG. He went to Tampa right after that, made an offer to Trey Reader, uh, inside linebacker, 
and Trey Reader was pretty much a lean to Michigan. And based upon the news that's coming out, Trey Reader last night committed to Notre Dame, and his brother is already there as a baseball player. So, look, that's that's how this thing is panning out with Michigan. And I would be very concerned if I were Michigan football fans. You might see a guy like A.J. Henning, who was a, a local kid here in the Chicagoland area, who hasn't been exactly happy about his usage in the offense. I could see him possibly being a candidate to transfer, possibly to Notre Dame or possibly to another school in the Midwest because, like, like Coach said, that's why Coach Reed said this yesterday as well. I'm not a proponent, or he's not a proponent, of early signings from kids because ultimately, you know, you have to wait to make sure that when you get there your freshman year, you at least want that coaching staff to be intact or that position coach to be intact for at least a year to get you off to a good start. And when you have head coaches leaving, ultimately the assistants leave with that head coach or they go to another school when the new coach comes in because the new coach, of course, wants to establish their own um, coaching staff. So, man, this is uh, this is amazing. Let's see, Robert Titoff, on a side note, what is needed for Irish hoops to get back to being relevant like the Elite Eight teams of 2015-16? Um, I don't overreact to the Duke game last night. I mean, it's Duke. Duke's a very good team. Final Four team. And the recruiting class, um, J.J. Starling is coming next year. He's a McDonald's All-American. Uh, you team him with the youngsters that you have already on this roster. And I think they get another year from the uh, transfer down low. Dude, I mean, they got a great coach. And I know a lot of people have been harsh on him uh, recently, but to, for him to get a McDonald's All-American, to keep Blake Wesley at home, and to build and get the transfer they needed down low, I think he's doing a great job. You get Nick Lashevsky. For me, the key to the, to the team has been a uh, hub. Because I thought Hub at this point in time would be a much better. Hub is pretty much the same player he was two years ago. And that's that's the problem. He should be a much better leader. He should be a much better point guard. And he should definitely be a much better shooter at this point in the program. And at this point in his college career. And for me, that's the disappointment. Is Prentice Hub. Because I thought he was going to end up being fantastic. You know? I wouldn't get rid, man. Everybody's like, get rid of Mike Bray. Dude, it's Notre Dame. Notre Dame has gone through what he's done at Notre Dame and where he brought the program from when he got there. That's not the type of coach you get rid of. You allow him to go out on his own terms and you deal with the downtimes. That's it. And I think that's the path that Notre Dame is going to continue to take unless Mike, unless Mike Bray does something incredibly dumb off the court that speeds up that process there's no reason just to get rid of mike bray like oh we can go get this coach dude from a basketball this is like notre dame basketball is not notre dame football 
two totally different things, right? So the fact that he's been able to win, gone to multiple Elite Eights, came within one possession of beating one of the best teams John Calipari ever had at Kentucky. And he's done it without five-star talent. Let's be real. Mike Bray and his staff, they've done an incredible job of developing talent. They have. So my boy, Corey Gilkey, what's up, fam? How you doing, man? Blessings to you and the family. I have to tag, tap in with you real soon. Come slide by the store and check in with you, man. I'm going to hit you up in the inbox after the show. Indy for life. I bet Amorion Walker, who flipped from Indy to Michigan, is now having second thoughts. Thanks, Sean and Malik, for all the insight. Yo, it's crazy because I remember when he flipped, his dad constantly talked about, like, how much Jim Harbaugh called his son every day, and they built this relationship. And I just felt like, yo, that's crazy. I wonder if he called him every day to let him give him an update on how he's going to be leaving the program in the coming week or so. So that's the double-edged sword that you deal with when it comes to recruiting. As a matter of fact, Coach Carl Reed was on with us yesterday, and he made it very clear when it comes to offensive recruits in class of 2023, Notre Dame fans need to be patient. And ultimately, Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese will get it done on the offensive side of the ball. This is Coach Carl Reed yesterday on the Lucky Lefty podcast with us. Most of those 23 commitments that, that are signed or committed to Notre Dame at this point were guys he has been recruiting for a long time mm-hmm. that were going to go play football for him anyway on the defensive side of the ball. As you go through the adjustments that they've made with some of the, the staff changes they've made on offense, those guys will um, will take shape. It's not like he's going to sign a class with all defensive players and no offensive players. Right. So, I, so I think that fans a lot of times – um, they get antsy, but they don't even really understand what's going on um, outside of just the news updates that they hear and stuff on TV. He's going to go sign a quarterback. They're going to sign offensive linemen and running backs. They're going to get the guys that they need. Also, because of the academic requirements at Notre Dame, and the, the recruiting process is a longer process for Notre Dame. You have to vet the guys academically. You have to make sure they're in classes that Notre Dame admissions will accept. There's a there's another level there of recruiting that you have to go through at Notre Dame that you don't have to go through at other places. And then I think is that that starts to level itself out because Tommy Reese is still there as the offensive coordinator, right? Yeah. So you're not gonna you're not losing anything there. So we're back, Lucky Lefty Podcast in the building. Brought to you by Nora Whiskey, Norawhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey, Norawhiskey.com. As we said before, Big Ten Network's Howard Griffith is going to join us. He has a very good relationship with Notre Dame's new running back coach from Indiana, Jalen McCullough, who has a great story. We're going to put the link to the E60 story that was done about him and his father that was eventually his mentor that uh, recruited him to Miami University. So great story. And when you see this, Notre Dame fans, trust me, when you see this E60 story, you are going to be deep to have him as your running back coach. And let's not forget, second round running back, local kid, he developed Tevin Campbell. Not Tevin Campbell, Tevin Campbell. That's the singer. Oh, man. Right. I'm bugging. Tevin Coleman. 
the local kid from Tinley Park that went to Indiana. He's the one that developed Tevin Coleman. He eventually went on to be a big running back for the 49ers in the NFL. So he'll give us some back uh, backstories on Dylan McCullough when he joins us at 10 o'clock. Go to NoraWhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey at NoraWhiskey.com. So we got the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire, on. It's official, bro. We spent the first 15 minutes talking to LL Nation about Tom Brady and his legacy. And um, he is, for someone that was open, and we can talk about this, I was open always to the quarterback position because sometimes I feel like the position gets too much credit, and then sometimes I feel like the position gets too much blame. So with all of that being said, I think Tom Brady did everything to supersede what people could think of when it comes to the quarterback position. When you look at his resume, and I wouldn't mind if they put his bust in Canton tomorrow. Like, there's no need to wait five years. You can put his bust in Canton tomorrow. And ultimately, that's just the way I feel about him and the legacy. Yeah, that I, would hate, I would definitely hate if anybody had to share the same Hall of Fame night as Tom Brady. He should have his own night because how are you going to follow up anything after or before? You would be a second afterthought footnote because he can be inducted three different times in three different eras. He needs his own night. First player, probably the only player to ever need something so special. You can't get better than Tom Brady. Yo, him, like guys that I felt like shouldn't have to wait and didn't need to wait. Him, didn't need to wait. The, uh, Barry, when he retired, it was like, yo, just just put him in there. Just go. put him in there. Just go. Special guys like that, there should be a waiver or an exemption from Canton. Like, you know what? We're getting this dude in the hall as fast as possible. Oh, yeah. Like, Dion, fast as possible. Oh, Dion, definitely. I think all of that should happen. So we played that clip right before you came on, and Coach Carl Reed that was on with us from 247 Sports. And he basically was talking about the offensive recruits. And ultimately, Notre Dame fans have to be patient, have to be patient and let things play out to see guys like Dante Moore and see guys like Carnell Tate eventually added to the recruiting class. Yeah, you, you got to see, you got to, you got to take your time with offensive players and considering the, the circumstances that we're transitioning to. I think this year is an important proving year for Tyler Buckner, and that proving year is going to be able to not only enhance Tommy's uh, resume or showcase what Tommy can do at that quarterback position and whether it influences everywhere else. And on top of that, we're going to see if Tyler Buckner can attract the players needed. When Deshaun Watson was there, Deshaun Watson got attracted to players. When Trevor Lawrence is there, same thing. And it's every great quarterback. CJ Stroud has a stable of receivers. And it's not only because Ohio State, but because they know they're going to get the ball. So if Tyler can convince that other people, or especially recruits, that he can get them the football, it may look slow now, but it will pick up speed later. John Vigo says, Dalen is going to land us the next Reggie Bush. This is my thing. I think people have been so – he's a great recruiter. That's the one thing you hear. He's a great recruiter. He gets talent to Indiana. He's been at USC. He's been under Pete Carroll. 
you know, with the Seahawks on the NFL level, and he was there with the Chiefs when they won uh, the Super Bowl in 19. Notre Dame's running back coaches, in my opinion, have done a fabulous job because it's not about who you recruit. It's about how much better do they get when you get them in your hands. I'll give you a perfect example, right? Dylan McCullough flipped Marquis Stepp, five-star running back, local kid from the state of Indiana. They flipped him to USC from Notre Dame. Of course, there were some issues that went into that. I believe Marquis Stepp had some off-the-field issues that Notre Dame might have been leery of. They kind of opened up the door for USC to swoop in. But McCullough was there as a running back coach. He swooped in. He got Marquis Step to flip. You haven't heard from Marquis Step, and he was a five-star. You haven't heard from him, right? He's transferred multiple times. My point is, look, I don't care if it's a five-star, four-star, three-star. Every running back coach in Notre Dame has gotten the running backs on the roster to produce. Period. And that's all you can ask for. I don't care if you get a five-star. I don't care if they make six stars and we get one of those in the future. The running back coaches at Notre Dame, for the most part, have done an incredible job of getting production out of that room. I can definitely second that. You know, I've been able to experience great running backs that were, you know, I got to see really grow. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Dexter Williams. Yeah. His first couple years now, he finished his senior year. Josh Adams giving him his first touchdown on his first play, how he developed into a Heisman candidate. You got CJ Procyse, a converted player that had a thousand yards at running back. So it just shows you that guys make that position change or stepping into that role as an early freshman. By their senior year, they're either racking up another record or they're putting themselves in position to be in drafted in the second or third round. Because we, we give them that much production. Lucky Lucky Podcast. I'm Sean Davis. Got my guy Malik Zaire with me. We're talking about new running back coach at Notre Dame, Dale McCullough. And just overall, the uh, bum rap, in my opinion, that the running back coach position has gotten at Notre Dame, specifically when it comes to recruitment. Now, look, as I said before, everybody, everybody wants five stars. Well, we got to go get a five star, right? Travion Henderson was a five-star, right? He was four-and-a-half, five-star, depending upon the publications, right? Do you think Travion Henderson had a perfect situation? Veteran offensive line, three stud wide receivers, and a good quarterback. Pretty easy to run in that situation, right? Yeah, but you got to think, too, is that not only that, but he was a fourth shadow. You know, he was a forethought in that offense. Right. So a lot of defenses aren't gearing up to stop Henderson because they have so much other things, which by nature is going to alleviate you to have a lighter box. And then if you got any type of talent with a five, six-man box, you're going to make some impressive plays. But the thing is, with that same look, you're not going to get the credit because you're not going to get that many attempts because you're throwing it. Right. And when you do get it, it's usually crunch time or something where you're trying to burn out the rest of the clock of the game. So it's a good and bad situation, but it does, when you're on a winning team, put you in position to get drafted anyway. 
And people forget, you know, Reggie Bush won the Heisman one year. His quarterback won it the, the previous year. It's like <laughs> your backfield is two Heisman Award winners playing at the same time, and they were literally a minute away from winning three consecutive championships. That's right. And it wasn't That's just right. because of them two. You know, they did have some talent at wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line. It was a complete team. So when you look at all of that, man, that's just the place that Notre Dame has to get to. You know, I see people in the chat talking about Heisman Trophy winners, all of that. Adams, you, you talked about it. You handed the ball off to him for his first career touchdown at Notre Dame. That offensive line was the reason that yeah. the whole trucking 33 campaign oh, started. Man. And until that Miami game, he was in the top three for the Heisman Award. That Miami game really ruined everybody's boards that season. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> it did. One game, one yeah. game ruined it. So, but you know, like you said, man, it's it's running back is such a underappreciated, but also not as valued as a receiver is. As crazy as it sounds, yeah, because seven on seven has become such a thing, like AU basketball. Receiver and tight end, those skill positions have increased in value over the years dramatically. The running back is phased out in the development in high school outside of the season. Because other than that, you got running backs playing receiver trying to catch the football. Chris Tyree is a di direct descendant of how the running back position is changing to a versatile, do-it-all sort of system. One, because you get more options. If you train at running back, Train that receiver is sort of like Avery Davis, Chris Tyree. You're expecting more production in a smarter place. So with running backs just being the Jerome Bettises of these days, I don't think that's the direction that Notre Dame is even headed in. I think we'll be more of a Chris Tyree, Avery Davis, and the biggest will be a SMA, but that's special situations as well. Yeah. And see, now let's we talk about the evolution of this offense, right? And you, you just gave me the perfect segue. Dude, why are we trying to get a five-star running back that we want to hand the ball off to 30, 35 times? Well, that's not the game. You're not beating anybody doing that. You Georgia you had a running game, know. but Georgia used three different running backs. Their running backs were totally different, had different skill sets. All of them. All of them. Deuce White was different than Jordan. Uh, uh, Dalvin Cook's brother was different from the other guy. I mean, right. Three distinct backs, and how, how effective were they throughout the whole game? It was like in spurts. Right. Because they went such against a great defensive line that you're just not going to get the same push like you did when they had Eddie Lacy in 2012. Right. So, for me, I would much rather have a running back room that has a Logan Diggs that's closer to Kyron, a Chris Tyree that you should really run outside the tackles with him, get him out in space, screen passes, split him out, let him run the slot a little bit, and then bring in an Audric Estime, who's a thumper, when you want to punish somebody in the fourth quarter after you warn the defense down that he's hard to tackle. That's the perfect running back room for 2022 and moving forward. It's perfect. Yeah, and it's perfect too because it's versatile and Tommy has weapons. I think I think the closer thing we should transition to as well is thinking about getting a Debo Samuel. Mm. 
Think about getting a guy that's an overall just a talent. Like a first Harvin type. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a five-star running back, but whatever a Debo Samuel is, that's a five-star athlete. Right. And with Marcus Freeman having such great two-way players like the Emil Wagners and the and the uh, Xavier Watts of the world, I think it would be great to see a Debo Samuels in an offense where we're not necessarily full goal pass, but we're not necessarily run either, especially in these days. So you can't have one without the other, right? You know, on one end, we're like, man, we need to go get great running backs. The other end is like, well, we need to upgrade the talent at wide receiver and at quarterback. It's like, if you do one, it's going to impact the other. Like, I need, I need the fan base to understand that. If you go get five, you go get Dante Moore, and you get Cardell Tate and Brandon Ennis at Notre Dame, Tommy's not running the ball 40, 30 times. No, he's not. He no. Because you, you would be doing a disservice to recruiting. Exactly. So, Cardell Tate needs to touch the ball about him and Styles, 10 apiece. 10 apiece. And that's, and that's 20 plays right there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. 20 less carries for Logan Diggs and all the rest. Lucky Lefty Podcast. We're talking about the impact of new running back coach, Dalen McCullough. I'm actually pulling double duty today. So when we log off today, I'll be jumping, jumping on Irish Breakdown with Brian Driscoll. And we'll be discussing the offensive staff, the new hires, specifically Dalen McCullough. Man. I'm totally excited. And like I said before, give me a second. Let me put this in the chat for LL Nation because I think you guys need to check it out when you can. Here you go. I just put, I put up the link to his E60 story right there in the chat for you guys to so go check it out. Copy and paste it and check it out after the show. It's an incredible story, and you'll feel inspired. And very pleased with the hire. Uh, David Jones. Uh, shoot, Georgia has Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb at the same time and still couldn't win a nap. Well, I mean, <laughs> their quarterback wasn't exactly a national championship. Their quarterback, quarterback play was very forgettable, to say the least. They had Todd Gurley and Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb and couldn't get at it. At the done. same time, right. At the same time. At the same time. So, so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's only so many carries for running backs right now. It's very limited. Especially when you have an elite offense. I think Najee Harris averaged, if I'm not mistaken, Najee Harris only averaged 15 to 17 touches a game. That's, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's Especially for a guy as highly regarded as he was with all that talent. He's a guy that on any other team, he's touching it 30 to 35 times. Yeah. To get half the carries and still have the impact. I mean, Alabama just got everything you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, Thomas Sasserville in the chat who says, uh, he mentioned Derek. Derek Henry was probably the last ground and pound running back for uh, Alabama. And that was strictly because of the quarterback they had. Like, they didn't have a quarterback that you could trust to drop back 40 times. But you almost couldn't have a quarterback that was that was like that because you would be selfish not giving it to Derrick Henry as many times as he did. I mean, he had more carries 
every year. It was increasing carries, and you don't see that with running backs in college football, especially at Alabama, where the love is spread around. But with, when you got a guy that special, I mean, he was able to take those carries too, just like Zeke. Lucky Lucky Podcast. It's 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 crazy you say that because take Ezekiel Elliott, right? How much better? I'll put this question out there. How much better is Ezekiel Elliott? Because he's from St. Louis, so it's perfect for me. How much better of a college running back was Zeke than Kyron Williams? Two, we're talking about two St. Louis kids. I think Zeke played with much better talent on the roster, a much better offensive line, and definitely better quarterbacks. And a better uh, offensive coach. Let's keep it real. You're saying who's? Are you saying who's better? I'm no, no, no. I'm talking about. There's no reason to say we know Zeke was a better prospect coming out of high school. Okay. Right. Kyron. Well, wait a minute, though. Zeke was being recruited as a corner. Right. At Notre Dame. Right. Not just a running. So that's another issue. That lets you know how talented he was. My point is, Kyron could have been just as successful under Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, and the talent around him as Ezekiel Elliott. I'm not saying he would have put up the same numbers, but that, let's not act like Kyron Williams wouldn't have been putting up 40 touchdowns in two years. He put up 31 in two years at Notre Dame behind that yeah. offensive line for two years. 31 touchdowns. 2,800 yards. Let's let's I'm keeping it a buck because I got to give my boy K Dub some flowers behind a porous offensive line or average offensive line in Notre Dame under Jeff Quinn. He put up 31 tutties and 2,800 yards. You're not about to shortchange my boy. So you telling me if he goes to Urban Meyer and Ryan Day's system at Ohio State, he doesn't get to at least 3,000 and 40 touchdowns? Yeah, I think that one thing you'll learn is that Kyron has proven that in a system that's average, at least, right, he's going to give you big production. Him at a high productive offense with all the things around him, it'll be interesting because it'll be something like a Najee Harris if he getting less touches, which more average per yard. So less touches, more average per yard. Yeah, and, and then you get to see if anything it just saves his body for the league. Right. You know, it just saves the carries on him. I think the, the punishment you take at Notre Dame, being that you may be successful, you're going into the league with something wrong with you. Facts. That's one thing that Notre Dame could improve on their running back is not having busted up by the time they're done. All right, I got Nick A is tapping in. He says, uh, what's our D.C. situation? It's a pretty long minute on making a decision. I blame our D.C. situation was supposed to be solved yesterday. We were supposed to have a press conference or a release this week. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes did get the job done. That's what it comes down <laughs> yeah, to. I really think, yeah, I really think we would have had it, and it would have been solved. If Patrick Mahomes didn't get it right, Patrick so, Mahomes in the second half. Because if we taking this long, there's only a couple reasons why at this point. The PJ, the, guy the PJ was at the airport waiting. 
We had the limo outside the visiting locker room at Arrowhead. <laughs> and and Patrick Mahomes. Now with a name card, Al Gold in Notre Dame. Ready. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to get back in that car, buddy. I'll see you in a little bit. Now Maybe we have to wait LA. two more weeks. You got to wait two more weeks. Because, I mean, so, you really don't so, want to Yeah, talk I love to the fact that it's still undecided. Yeah. Because yeah. it's shaping up to, to only be one choice. You know, yeah. we done lost our guy, Derek Mason. You know what I mean? So this is a great opportunity to step that up. So we're going to talk to Howard Griffith in a few minutes, and we're definitely going to talk to him about Jim Harbaugh because it seems like he's out the door at Michigan. And Trey Reeder, who was a lean to Michigan, as uh, a linebacker in the 22 class, committed to Notre Dame late last night. And I think it's that's one of the dominoes from the recruiting class knowing that, hey, Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL. So I'm interested in talking about that and getting Howard's opinion on that. But coaching hires for you, based upon what Coach Reed told us yesterday, one of the things that he said that I thought was very important is like, yo, as a recruit, you want the guys that recruited you to at least be there for your first year so you can get off to a really good start. I'm like, yo, I never looked at it like that, especially with college football and the way things transpire now. When you have this new coaching staff coming in, and Dalen McCullough, don't get it strange, guess who recruited him? One of his first offers was Jim Tressel, when Jim Tressel was at Youngstown. Who was the mentor for Marcus Freeman? Jim Tressel. So we're starting to see like a Jim Trestle tree. Al Washington is connected to Jim Trestle. We're starting to see a Jim Trestle tree here at Notre Dame as far as the coaching staff. How is that making you feel about what Marcus Freeman is putting together? Man, it shows that he's he's thinking about it in a smart way. Yeah, He's not going in with the, I'm bringing in everything new. This is all my creativity. I think he's being smart by Trusting the process of what got him there with guys that he trusts the most, giving him good advice. Ohio State the, and the things that they've accomplished in the last 20 years. I think with Jim Trussell being there, I wanted to commit to Jim Trussell. I didn't when Urban got there, but I think that the the essence of what he brought in that type of football that was played at Ohio State was something that is still memorable to this day. Yeah. And if he can cross that over from Ohio State to Notre Dame and unite the two traditions, as a Dayton guy, it's possible. But I'd love to see how it's going to turn out because what's the Ohio State influence in any way in a program is what you want to see. It's a lot of Ohio on this this uh, coaching staff. I, that's all I know. Right. Y'all, right. I, I might get sick hanging around them in South Bend when I go to games. <laughs> Don't forget, the official announcement was made yesterday, but we knew April 23rd, 2022 is the blue and gold game at Notre Dame Stadium. Marcus Freeman's first blue and gold game. That's April 23rd, 2022. Uh, Guys are here saying, I want the next Ricky Waters. I want the next Jerome Bettis. Uh, It's like, If you know Ricky Waters is going to be Ricky Waters, let's not act like we knew Ricky Waters was going to end up being Ricky Waters until he got to a great coach 
that was able to develop him and properly use him in a system. And that's what our guy yesterday was talking about when he was saying about fit. Yeah. We didn't know Ricky Waters was going to be Ricky Waters, but I don't think anybody did until he got into that good situation. He was a player that could have went to a bad situation and have a different career. Facts. 80% of football players and college football players, that's what it's about. If you find the right fit, sometimes your talent may not be great, but the fit that you're in is perfect. An example would be a Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup may have not have been the, the highest rated guy, but he went to Eastern Illinois where they got him the rock. Great fit. And now look how it's translated because now his talent, having the experience and having those reps at, at Eastern Illinois with the great fit, he's got enough experience that when he got to the big leagues, it was a great transition. That way you can see the talent hit his, hit his potential. A lot of guys don't hit their potential with talent because they're not in a great fit. They're not used to the maximum of their ability which hinders their ability to be productive when they get on their own and get drafted. Right. So fit is everything. And you hear Marcus Freeman talk about the golden standard. Um, I put up a story today. I wrote a story that was posted on Irish Breakdown about Christian Gray and how he fits Notre Dame off the field and on the field. And despite you know, the late push from teams like Oklahoma, LSU, Ohio State, who's out on his trail now when Notre Dame has been on him early or earlier than everybody else and eventually thought they were going to get an early commit. At this point, when you put in that much work and you know you're the perfect fit, as a coaching staff, you just have to continue to communicate and let that young man know that he's top priority. And, and trust the foundation of the relationships you've built. Yeah, I always thought about it. it's just that girl that you're very interested in, man. You gotta just just check up on it. You know, like once you once you've expressed your interest, it's you don't have to be on her every day. No. But as long as you know you check and see how she feels, did she eat, did she eat today? You know, and we, we check in on that type of level. I think it just brings a bigger camaraderie that he can feel the brotherhood he can feel and the relatability he can feel with consistent reaching out. And I think the genuineness of where this program is headed, talking to Carnell Tate, he's not committed and he's telling you it's a different energy. Right? So it's giving, it's giving guys that are on the cusp of maybe outside looking in, about to step and take that chance, that there's something that they're expecting that's different about Notre Dame that they haven't gotten before which is, I think, it's one of those recipes for success on what we can look like in the next season. And I think the direction of the relationships that Tommy is building, not only with Carnell Tate, who was very open with us about the strength of his relationship with Tommy Rees, uh, your conversations with Dante Moore, and confirming his relationship with Tommy Rees. Tommy Rees, we've said it before, we've been very critical of him, but we have to give him his flowers from what we're hearing from these 23 recruits. He's doing a great job of being that dude and establishing great communication and relationships on the offensive side of the ball. And as Coach Reed said, the process at Notre Dame is different. It takes a little bit longer to vet these recruits and to make sure that everything fits up before you can go ahead and you can get those commits from those offensive players. He talked about the defensive players committing earlier because when Brian Kelly was there, 
it was Marcus Freeman pretty much and primarily recruiting them. So once he became the head coach, it's like, okay, heck, I was coming to play to be in your on your side of the ball anyway. So Brian Kelly was the offensive guy. So now it's almost like a reset for the offensive recruits. They knew Tommy, but now they have to get more comfortable with Marcus Freeman and everything that's going on. And hopefully Tommy with this evolution that he goes through post Brian Kelly as an offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator and play caller. Hopefully it bowls well. What the Fiesta Bowl showed us is that Tommy is really good at putting together game plans for games. Yeah. We can trust that. Like, okay. He can game plan. Now, in my opinion, I didn't thought that he, I didn't think that he overthought in the game. Yeah. But I did think that if a couple throws different, we would have been singing Tommy's praises for throwing that many times. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to think about that when it comes to his evolution as a play caller post Brian Kelly. We know he can game plan, but now will he have the pixie dust that a rare few have as play callers? Because this is totally different being a great game planner and being a great play caller in the midst of a game, especially in the second half after teams have had an opportunity to adjust. Lucky Lefty Podcast, Sean Davis with the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire. We are pleased to welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast, former NFL running back, Denver Broncos, two-time Super Bowl champion and analyst for the Big Ten Network for college football, none other than, I call him Big Bro, we call him friend of the program to Lucky Lefty, Howard Griffith, Chicago kid, right here. <laughs> What's up? Lefty. How you guys doing this morning? Bro, how What's are you up, feeling man? this Thanks morning? for having me. <laughs> I can't complain one bit. Getting ready for the snowstorm in Chicago, but other than that, another I'm one, good. <laughs> I heard they're getting like 15 inches. I was talking to a recruit uh, that just left junior day up in Notre Dame, and uh, I was I was kind of teasing him. Cause we were talking about the snow that's coming and I was like, yeah, but you all are supposed to get 15 inches. And he was like, man, don't tell me that. I was like, yeah, we're getting 10, uh, 10 you're getting 15. Yeah, I would yeah. much rather be up here than down there. <laughs> but that's just par for the course. You know, Howard, jokingly, I was talking to my daughter. She goes to school out in California. I was talking uh-huh. to her last night, right? And so she was like, yeah, you know, it's like 58 here today. <laughs> It's kind of cool, and I just laughed. I was like, really? 58? Oh, yeah, it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful out here now. It's been beautiful. I went to the beach the other day. I feel bad. 15 inches? Oh, my goodness. So, See, Malik, that ain't right, man, to rub it in. I know. It's not right at all. Sean coming out here for the Super Bowl, so he's going to see that break. There you go. So at the end of the conversation, she says, you know, I tell people all the time, the cold's not that bad. I'm from Chicago. Like, you know, when I'm at home, I'm immune to it. And I said, you lying. I said, that's your young blood talking. Said, as, we, as we used to say, them's is lies. Them lies. Them lies right there. But we wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about what's going on and uh, with National Signing Day coming up. Also, you know, you have knowledge of Notre Dame's new running back coach, David McCullough. Incredible story that was chronicled by ESPN and E60. And uh, LL Nation, I put the link to it out there for you guys to check out in the chat. So what? Do you, give us the impression immediately 
when Marcus Freeman makes this hire, what was your first impression? Well, I was excited about it. I think he's going to be a great addition to the staff. I think the fact that, you know, Marcus is there right now and the way they're going to change the whole recruiting process at Notre Dame now, uh, I think you got you got a guy, first of all, that's going to lead the charge and understands the best recruiter in the building has to be the head coach. And when it's the head coach, every everything else falls in line. So when you have a guy at the top that loves recruiting and wants to recruit, when you start to find other other position coaches and other assistant coaches that also want to do the same thing, it really starts to open the doors. And I think over the next several years, uh, you're really going to see what I think Notre Dame recruiting to be what it used to be in the old days when Lou Holtz was there. I know the rules were a little different there, but I'm going to tell you, they would get the best of the best and they still get great players. But I think there's always been some situations where there has, there's been a, you know, some, maybe people didn't feel warm and fuzzy about it. I mean, you know, you know, like, you know, when you go to Notre Dame, that's a different, that's a different kid that you're recruiting. Right. He's looking for some it's other things other than this. To think about it because you don't want to say it's something that it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's what that's what's interesting about it because it's so, so different. So, you know, I, I think Cole is going to do a great job recruiting there. Um, you know, does it have his challenges? Yes. But I think he'll be able to get in there, be able to continue to develop the players that he gets and, and really make things happen. And I think that's what Notre Dame ultimately is going to need to be able to take that next step. Well, his college experience, he was out there at USC, but at that point in time, they were dealing with scholarship restrictions. Yeah. So you, how do you really recruit? And then he goes to Indiana where, you know, it's a Big Ten school, but it's, it's Indiana. It's mm -hmm. like it's certain guys you really like, but they're not coming to Indiana. Yeah. He has to feel like a kid in the candy store <laughs> walking in with that Notre Dame program in his back pocket now when he walks into these high schools. Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of those things. I mean, you you have that uh, logo on your chest when you walk in. It immediately separates you from other people. And, um, you know, time will tell. I, but I really believe that I think he'll be able to to do a great job. And, again, you know, it's it's one thing once once they're once you're recruiting. But once they get into the school, you know, I think it's your obligation, you know, as a coaching staff and a staff to make sure that that young man is able to maximize, you know, his skills on and off the football field. Lucky Lefty Podcast, we had the Big Ten Network's own Howard Griffith with us, the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire. At Overtime Malik, I'm Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. Let's get straight to it. What's going on in Ann Arbor, man? And, and, and <laughs> Who knows? Has... Jim Harbaugh got an unfair rap, in your opinion. As far as? As far as what he's been able to do at Michigan, where the program was before he got there, and what they've been able to do up until this point. Ultimately, I guess most people can say they got embarrassed against Georgia, but I think most of us that really know football knew going into that it was going to take mm -hmm. Georgia playing a little bit below who they were and Michigan playing above what they were for that game to really be competitive. Yeah. I think one of the things when you think about Jim Harbaugh, you look back to last year and um, you know, he went into the season last year, he had taken a pay cut, restructured the contract. Uh, he made some huge changes uh, to his staff, which is something that he's not done before. 
And to me, when I saw him, you know, at, at media day, you know, he looked like a different Jim Harbaugh. He was in better shape. He was smiling. He was enjoying himself. And I asked him about it that day. And he was like, no, nah, nothing's different. And I'm like, come on, coach. I don't believe you. Something's different. And when you follow the team, you know, I think the, the changes that they made on the coaching staff are, are really what were able to allow this team to go to the next level. And, you know, they were playing well. They had a veteran offensive line that really understood and knew what they were doing. They had some unbelievable running backs that could run the rock and keep the and keep the chains moving. And at the quarterback spot, they had a guy that could be efficient uh, and, and make plays when he needed to. So this past year has been an unbelievable year for, for Michigan football. Now, you look the years previous to that, there were struggles. I mean, there were struggles, and you would say they underperformed. And when you talk about not being able to get to the Big Ten championship game, I mean, they hadn't been there uh, until this year and since we've gone to East and West. So being being Michigan, you know, they had underachieved. And losing to their rivals is a big part of that. And, you know, they were able to beat their rivals and, and win the Big Ten championship and, and go on and get into the college football playoffs. Now they have to be able to take that next level. It's no shame in what happened to them in, in Georgia. I think ultimately what it shows you is where you may be deficient as far as your roster is concerned and where you need to continue to build uh, to have those dominant players and to be able to get into the playoffs and be efficient. Do you think Michigan's biggest problem as well, which has been the difference in the big 10 that they've had, especially against Ohio State, that quarterback position, Harbaugh hasn't had a guy he can sit behind like a Ryan Day and say, oh, I can roll out C.J. Stroud, I can roll out J.T. Baird, I can roll out these Heisman contenders like Justin yeah. Fields. That, to me, was the biggest difference in the 10-year run that Ohio State had beaten Michigan every year because Harbaugh yeah. couldn't secure a top yeah. guy at that spot. Yeah, it's been a problem. And, you know, he's considered by some to be a quarterback guru. You know, I, I know he played the position, played it at a high level, and he had Colin Kaepernick. But, I mean, it's you still got to be able to develop those guys. And, you know, really had struggled to to sign those top quarterbacks to get them into the program. For a while, he was really living off guys that were transferring in uh, to lead his team. And, and this year, uh, with Cade being able to, to step up, I think they called the game a little differently. Um, they really relied upon the run game heavily uh, for most of the year. But Cade showed that, you know, when it was time to throw the ball, he, he could get that done. And you but you got to have a quarterback. It's at the end of the day, if the guy on the center is not a difference maker, you know, you're going to struggle as a program. And, and you may be able to get into a conference championship game. But when it gets down to being in that 14 playoffs, it's about being able to score almost 40 points a game. That's what you have to be able to do in those games. You can have great defense. But they're going to make them give up some plays. I mean, that's why there's four teams there. They're considered the best four teams in college football. So, you know, you got to be able to score points. If you don't have the guy under center that can be a difference maker and also really can be a threat in the run game, doesn't have to run it all the time, but has to be a threat so you can take some of that pressure off and open up. It opens up things on the outside for your receivers, as you know. Now, I'm going to give you a choice. I know you, uh -oh. will, want, you will want both. <laughs> qualities in your offensive coordinator uh-huh if you had to choose one which one would you choose a great game planner or a great <laughs> play caller play callers all day long okay all day long i'm taking play callers because you know what happens is that's what separates 
to me, I, I don't care what level you're playing. I don't care whether you're a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, special teams guy. There's a feel that goes along with being able to call plays. And, and when you can do that and your quarterback is on the same page because now he's able to anticipate what you're wanting to call and what you're wanting to do, there's nothing better because those guys can get in rhythm. And when they get in the rhythm, forget it because now they're controlling the game. Now, we see a lot of that. You know, if you look at from a defensive side, guys like Jim Leonard, Dave Aranda, those guys dictate the pace on the defensive side. They don't react to offenses. They dictate the pace. And to me, when you get guys that can dictate the pace, that's when things really explode. You know, people – I'll use Iowa, for example, and, and Phil Parker. You know, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have the most talented players on that team. Never does. But I'm going to tell you, they play at an unbelievable high level. Now, they gave up plays. Yeah, they did. But he knows when to call certain plays. You know, you look at Northwestern. Northwestern's defense was unbelievable until this past year. Hankowitz was the defense coordinator. Had been around the game, had seen a lot, but he had a knack for calling plays. And when you had those guys, man, forget it. It's, it's, they hard to stop. But on the offensive side, for real, I absolutely want a guy – you know, it knows when to call those plays because that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, other than uh, galvanizing the offensive recruiting at Notre Dame, that's something the fan base is waiting to see how things play out with Tommy Reeds. Like, we know he can game plan. Mm -hmm. We saw that in the Fiesta Bowl, the way they came out against Oklahoma State in that style defense. But when it gets into the throws of the game and hotly contested, can you come on up with that one or two call, play mm -hmm. calls, that can be the difference and ultimately get the W for you. Yeah, but you got to have a guy in the center that can execute it too now, right? That's, that's all facts. <laughs> that's, that's why I went to recruiting. Yeah. Yeah, you got you to have that guy that can, that can execute it because, you know, you can – I always say this. I mean, there are no offense, defense, special team game plans that were set up to fail, right? right. Those guys put it on the board. It's supposed to work. They believe it's going to work. Now, calls can – you know, they happen, but – you got to have the right guys uh, running the system that you're you're trying to implement, and I think that's that sometimes is is also a difference uh, when when some geniuses, as I call them, um, they believe it's all about them, and you know they're not necessarily dialing up the plays that's going to fit that offense or defense special teams, and you know, and, and then you looking in the meeting room and say, why this can't? Why are we not executing this? Well, maybe the tight end that you're asking to do that is more of an inline blocker. And you're telling them you want them to run, you know, dig routes and you want them to run corner routes. And, and that's not what he's that's not what he's best at. So he's best to be on the front side of, of, of your run game. Right. So you got to be able to know your personnel uh, to be able to make calls and, and know your know your roster so you can put them in the best positions to succeed. Now, this is a true story. Guys, people don't know. Howard and I used to work together <laughs> at ESPN for the Bears postgame show and the news about Marcus Freeman choosing to come to Notre Dame as a defensive coordinator comes down on a Sunday during the post-game show. And I'm talking to you down the line, big bro. And I'm like, <laughs> yo, what do you think? And you were like, he's a superstar. That was yeah. the first thing you said to me. You were like, he's a superstar. And I'm like, really? Like, yeah. Little did I know later that he would be the head coach of Notre Dame. Do you still feel that way about Marcus Freeman and the direction oh. that he's going to take at Notre Dame? Oh, no doubt. And, and so let me let me back up a little bit so, so Malik, I can get you caught up to this, too. So I covered 
Marcus when he was a linebacker at Ohio State. So I, I knew the player. I knew him as a player. Then once he came back and started GA, and one of the things I always do in the spring when I go around to all the schools, those are the first people I want to look at. I'm checking out the, the, the GAs because, you know, to me, those are the next guys that are going to take that next step. And plus, you, you start forming relationships with those guys. And, and if they're good, they're going to continue to move on. So that's just another contact that you have somewhere else. But when I watched him work with Luke, Luke Fickle, who was his, not only his physician coach, now is his mentor as well, has always been. But you, I watched him coach, and the feedback that he was giving the players was immediate. It was after each play. He was talking. He was communicating. He was, he was clear, concise, wasn't long-winded. And then he was on to the next play, on to the next player. So he left there, I think, went to Kent State. You know, spent a couple of years there as the, the linebacker coach, came over to Purdue with Daryl Hazel, was a position coach there, then became the defensive coordinator. And he's just continued to get better at every stop he made. And then once Luke Fickle went to, to Cincinnati, you know, he took took him with him and became a coordinator. And, and really, I knew under Luke he was going to be a star, continue to just blossom and grow. And then all of a sudden he makes that move to Notre Dame. And the funny story is my son had already entered the transfer portal. So I'm talking to him about other stuff. Uh, and he was like, listen, man, I just need to talk to your son before he makes any moves. And I said, yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's the way I feel about it. Anyway, I told him to wait, see who the next uh, defense coordinator is going to be. So yeah, y'all have that. I can promise you that won't happen. You know, that he won't make a decision. And I knew because Houston knew him as well. Uh, going around with me all the time, and he was recruited by him. So, you know, once he got that opportunity, um, you know, I still you know, believe that he's a superstar. I, I think he has all the traits, all the qualities um, that it needs to be to, to take that next level, uh, to take that next step. Now, the challenge is, is are there going to be mistakes made? Absolutely. This is a big time job, probably a top five job, but you're now talking about a top five job and a first time head coach. Right. So the scrutiny that he's going to be under is going to be immense each and every week. And uh, that's part of, I think, where he's got to make sure that he has his mentors and around him and he's really convicted in what he wants to do. He knows where he wants to take the program and it's not going to happen as smoothly as he wants, wants it to, as all we all want it to be. But it's being uh, you know, steadfast in what he believes in. I think his core values are going to allow uh, him to have a great deal of success. Uh, at Notre Dame, man. and it's going to help that he has an athletic director that also ha he has the full backing of. So, you know, I think it's a great situation. You know, I'm looking forward to to what Notre Dame uh, is going to have a chance to 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 be able to do moving forward. It's funny too, um, you know, most people hate Notre Dame. You, that's the kind you either love it or you hate. It, right? right. I think Marcus is going to get more people that are now going to say, ah. Oh, I think I'm going to check them out now. I'm interested in what's going on over there. This is interesting. Young, dynamic guy uh, at the helm. Let's see what he can do, and hopefully he's going to be successful. So you say that, and it's interesting because you, you know him personally and gotten a chance, and you know that he's a great position guy. He's been a great defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting you talked about his characteristics on how he was so involved, hands-on with the players. But in the Fiesta Bowl, we talked about this, me and Sean, he just appeared too cool. So I think as a head coach, he's trying to find that balance between, okay, I'm level-headed, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in, but then don't lose the part that made you so great. 
yeah. as that position coach, as a defensive coordinator, being hands-on, saying some stuff. Now, maybe the camera caught him when he was in his chill moment, but it was some moments in the game where yeah. I'm like, I'm expecting the Marcus Freeman to talk that rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, that, but that's 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 part of growing in that into that position. The, yeah. You know, part of it is you know understanding that every step you take, there's going to be a camera watching you. So you need to know how to react in certain situations or not react, and you know when to engage with your players. You know, could he have called the defense? You know, in that in that game. <laughs> I would probably lean to he didn't call the defense and somebody else was calling the defense and that coach probably isn't there right now. But um, I, I think it's a, it's a growth process. It, it really is. And, you know, that's just something that he's going to continue to grow in. Uh, I think as, as the coaching staff continues to evolve, they're going to be his guys that are there. Because at the end of the day, you got that corner office. You better make sure the guys down the hall all have your back and are doing what's in the best interest of you. Not in the best interest of them, in the best interest of you. So if you've got people that may not have that quality, and I'm not saying that that's what's on the staff right now, I'm just saying you need to make sure that those are the type of people you're surrounding yourself with. Because the challenges for him is in which he's already doing. I went to a practice this spring. He's got to get, he's got to be able to interact with the offensive guys and be able to talk with those players and they've got to believe in them. And that's one of the things, uh, you know, that I was hearing a lot of good things about that, you know, the offensive guys were, you know, excited about him being a part of the process and, and really engaging with those guys because as the head coach, I mean, you, you, you just can't come and being a defense coordinator. You just can't be hanging with your guys. You've got to really embrace the whole team and make sure that everybody understands that they can trust you and know that you're going to do what's best for them. You know, this podcast, we pride ourselves of being on to the MF era, as we call it. <laughs> we don't even talk about the previous regime. We let them do their dances on social media and all that stuff. It's like, do whatever you have to do. But take us inside. We had a show that we did last week where the returning guys that decided to stay and not enter their names into the draft and then the transfers all did a press conference, I believe, was on uh, two Fridays ago. Mm-hmm. And so we did a podcast because all of the defensive players had the same message. And then when the offensive players that are returning talk to the media, we were like, yo, where's that message? I swear it was like, I don't care if it was Brandon Joseph. I don't care if it was Houston. Like every defensive player was like national championship, national championship, getting ready for Ohio State. The offensive players were just like, yeah, you know. They gave us more questions about what's going on. Right. (laughs) What are we missing? And I know Houston had a decision to make, and Mm -hmm. that I'm sure with you and the rest of the family. What was it that had those guys, had him and and guys like Brandon Joseph, who he knew before Brandon Joseph even entered into the transfer portal? Why do you feel like the defensive guys really have that edge, Isaiah Foskey included, of saying, yo, we're thinking national championship. Is that just being directly under Marcus Freeman, or is it more about something bigger? Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of things, man, okay. and, and I think it is. And I think it's it's a combination of, as I mentioned earlier, them guys are different to go there, man. <laughs> guys are different. Everybody that I've ever played with professionally or uh, – well, professionally, you know, it was Notre Dame was a 
different, different cat to me. And it was it was about, you know, winning championships. It was about, you know, being in the best shape, being the best. It was I, I never uh, have come across a guy or, or, you know, that really didn't exude confidence about who they were. And I think part of that, when you think about from the defensive side, is that's the message that they've been hearing being, mm. you know, the entire year from the front of the room uh, with Marcus Freeman. So being being in that situation, I'm not surprised. You know, offensively, it, it takes a little time, right? You know, there the, there's a different set of guys that are going to be the quote unquote superstars on the offensive side this year. You know, they're, they're, you're going to have a different quarterback. You're going to have a different starting running back. Your receivers could look a little different. So that messaging may not be there. They may not have bought into all the things that they're trying to accomplish yet. But I promise you, you have that you have that same press conference at the end of spring ball, and I think it'll be a little bit different. And I think if, if you're at Notre Dame, there, there's only thing one thing you're doing, right? You, well, two things. You're graduating, and you, your only option is winning the national title. So that that's, you know that when you show up. Right. You know it when you show up. And they're hard to do and they're hard to accomplish, but you still, that's got to be your goal. That's got to be where you want, what you want to do. And, you know, it's always been that way in Notre Dame. You know, it's about about winning you know, championships. And I, I think they'll get on the same page. I think it's just going to take a little time uh, from an offensive standpoint. And, you know, Tommy's got to, you know, get his feet wet as well um, as he's going to, you know, have different responsibilities than he's had before. Nobody's looking over his shoulder. He's not he's not sitting there saying he sends a call in and all of a sudden that call may get changed once it gets down to the field. Well, we ought to do this. So, you know, that's going to take a little time. But, you know, I think they're still talented. There's always been talent there. Um, It's whether or not it was maximized at the right time. So, you know, I expected and we expected Notre Dame to have a press conference or a week this week. And uh, Patrick Mahomes let us down. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we thought, you know, the defensive linebacker coach for uh, the Bengals would be open and free and would be headed to South Bend. And, you know, but seriously, D.C. job reportedly has come down to Al Golden and, and Coach Belt from Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know, you know, your thoughts on both of those candidates and uh, if you're hearing any other names that might be connected to the job. You know, Coach Haycock is is a guy that he played under at Ohio State. I'm bringing his name up because I know it was out there before, but I think he decided to stay stay where he is. But you know, I think he's looking for somebody who can really run a defense, right? And and maybe still has the, some of the same philosophies that he has because he's not going to be able to do it. It's just right. not. It's too much. It's not reality. Yeah. It's not reality. I I know he'll, he'll have people that may want to do it, but. To me, that's not that's not what he needs to be doing in this job. Um, so he's got to be the the overseer and make sure everything is running smoothly. And he's gonna if he hasn't found out yet, it's a million other things he's got to worry about besides play calling. And that's the stuff off the field before you get on the field. So right. he needs to know he the, the defense coordinator can put in a great system, a great plan uh, that's gonna be able to adjust depending upon the talent that they have on the field. Now, so I think he's taking his time. I think he absolutely knows who he wants. Um, he just has not been able to pull the trigger because, he, as you mentioned, that person may not be available right now to tell him, no, nah, I don't think I can take that job right now. So, 
you know, he's being methodical about it. But the, the good thing is, I mean, it's Notre Dame. So, you know, whoever he decides to pick, it's not going to take them very long to decide whether or not they want to, you know, be a part of, of the Notre Dame family and the coaching staff. And, you know, they got to find the tight end coach now as well. So that'll be another position that I think they'll have to field and find a guy that really wants to recruit and be able to go out and hit, hit the road um, and recruit at a high level as well. Yo, it's Notre Dame, man. That's one of the things I don't people I don't think people understand. And you the words you use was maximize. Yeah. I think we need to really understand that. Because the yeah. great coaches at Notre Dame have been able to maximize the brand, the education, and the opportunity on the yeah. football field to be successful. Yeah. If you're a great coach, you're going to be able to do that. So when you talk about possibly previous regimes not totally maximizing everything that's there, Malik will tell you. I've had Malik on with his teammates that have been guests on the show, and they constantly say, look, especially that 2016 team <laughs> that lost to Watson and Clemson by two points, they all say, look, we had the talent to win a national championship. Like if we had saw Alabama that year mm -hmm. and we didn't have the injuries and everything that came into that season, we give Alabama a run for that money. So to know that the talent has been there and to realize that Notre Dame supposedly has not been able to get over the hump and the excuses that have been put out there have been <laughs> lack of talent, different no. makers and things like that. Is that no. something moving forward that Notre Dame is going to have to overcome simply by just winning on the field? Or is that something that Marcus Freeman is going to have to eliminate before they win via recruiting? I think it starts with recruiting. Okay. Uh, ultimately, it, it starts there. You know, you're going to continue to – I mean, there, there's a laundry list of players that have gone on and played other places that wanted to go to Notre Dame, but somebody may not have been on the campus to host them because recruiting may not have been as popular. They may have been out at the lake house and didn't want to come back to campus. If you look at the great teams, when it comes down to recruiting, it, it's, it's 365. If a, if a recruit is in town on a swing, whether he's going to Ohio State, Michigan, and wants to come to Notre Dame, you can't tell that kid he can't come because the head coach is not around or the offense coordinators are not around. Uh -uh, that doesn't work. You get really get one one good shot, right, and they want to come see it, and you better be available. And, you know, I, I get it, and it works for some people, but I, I think if, to take the next step, you've got to have a guy – at the top, I mentioned this earlier, it's going to recruit 365 and it's going to demand those same things out of his assistant coaches. Because I, I, now Urban Meyer was out of his mind when he came to recruit. I mean, he was out of his mind. It was described as, you know, every day, every hour was fourth and one for him. And that's how he coached and that's how he recruited. So it, you, were, you couldn't tell him that a recruit called and, and he didn't get a he didn't get a call back in 10, 15 minutes because that was really their rule. If they got a if they were a recruit text or a parent text when it was time they had that opportunity, somebody better pick up that phone. Or if that phone's not picked up, somebody be, better be calling back in, in five to ten minutes because we're not gonna have that problem. And he would look at the sheets. <laughs> he he was no joke when it came to all of that stuff. So I think Marcus will have a lot of those qualities in him. And, and I think, you know. Notre Dame will be able to get some of those players that are that next level type that you know that, you know, steps on the field and he's just different. 
than everybody else. And they've always had talent. I can remember seeing that team because uh, Jerry DiNardo would be with us. We And sometimes we'd stop in South Bend to, to watch practices and they'd be like, man, they, these guys, the talent's here. I can't figure out why it's not working. Well, I kind of figured that out later on. But then, you know, it's just one of those things. So I, I think the long answer, short answer is it comes down to recruiting, comes down to the guy at the top and understanding that. And I, I think that there are there are young men and women across this country that are elite athletes that want both. They want Notre Dame for what it can do for you uh, after after you leave there that want Notre Dame for what he can do for you while you're there and on the field. I think that's been an excuse that, that people have thrown out there, the whole academic side of it. You know, one of the things that I, I really appreciated about it, my first opportunity to sit there with one of the, the athletic directors is they talk about the, the student athletes coming in and meeting them where, I mean, we're going to meet you where you are. There's a reason you've been admitted and you, you we believe that you can get it done. So just do what you need to do, work hard, take advantage of, of all the, the resources that are there for, for you, and don't worry about it. Because what happens to me, I wasn't normally admissible, as I, as I say, at the University of Illinois. So if I didn't play football, I wasn't getting in. Because I didn't have anything in common academically, financially, with, with the people that were getting in. What do you think that looks like at Notre Dame, right? For, for that young athlete, particularly that young black athlete. Right. You can talk about the economic background that some of these families have. And you talk about the educational uh, background that some of these people have that have had generations upon generations that have, that have gone to Notre Dame. It's different. So that player that wants to be in the middle of that is already a special player to begin with. You just have to be able to pull the other side out. And that to me is why there has to be so much trust in that guy in the front of the room. Because these guys are smart enough and they're different enough that they can also sit there and say, man, this is, this is it's not about him. So we're just going to play for each other. And that's dangerous, right? If the yeah. players are just playing for each other, that sounds good, but they got to be playing for everybody. They got to believe the guy in the front of the room, again, has the best interest at heart of making those guys the best that they can be. And you know what? That's a message that resonated for players that I've spoken to ranging from 2016 up until the present, a lot of them felt like, yo, that brotherhood was real because they felt like, look, we're playing for each other. Mm -hmm. Like, forget all the other stuff. We're playing for each other. And like you said, you don't want that message to be permeated throughout a football program. It has to be everybody. Yeah. They're good enough to win games. Listen, the players are good enough to win the games, right? Yeah. But then to to win those championships, you know, you got to have a coach that, that, that can you – know, call the right plays that the guys are going to sell out for. And, and that's what happens with these guys, man. You look at that, again, you look at Georgia. These guys are selling out for Kirby Smart. You look at, you know, Alabama. They're selling out yeah. for their guys. That's crazy. Yeah. So let's talk about the running back position because we had this discussion before we brought you on. Notre mm -hmm. Dame fans were in the chat talking about we, we won the next great Heisman running back at Notre Dame. And, you know, we're like, yo, you can't have both. Like, you can't ask for – the next great quarterback and the wide receiver room to be improved and get five stars and then think you're going to have a running back that's running the ball 30 times a game. Like the game is totally different. Even yeah. Najee Harris, we pointed out only averaged 17 to 18 touches a game at Alabama as great as mm -hmm. he was. Why? Because of the quarterback and the talent they had at the wide receiver position dictated 
they throw the ball more than they run it. Right. Yeah. Talk about what Tommy Reese is going to have to do in this offense. And we had Carnell Tate, who's at IMG out of Chicago, mm-hmm. on, with, mm-hmm. uh, on with us a couple of weeks back. And he talked about what he was looking for, an uh, offense that he can fit, he can get touches, and get an opportunity to play early. Mm-hmm. You hear young wide receivers talk like that, that's not an offense that runs the ball 30 to 35 times. So <laughs> what's the challenge for Notre Dame moving forward, and what's the challenge for Tommy Reed moving forward, recruiting-wise and developing this offense to get to the point where they can average 40 to 45 points a game? Yeah, well, I mean, to, to average the 40, 45, I mean, you, you're going to throw it around. You're going to throw it around a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. And to be honest, to me, when you look at young coordinators, the way they make their mark is not by running the ball. That's that's not how they are considered a genius. Geniuses don't run the ball, right? That, that just doesn't happen. The only person that right now that you're looking at that, that, that does it uh, you probably go up to the NFL level. You look at Kyle Shanahan, who's going to run it. He's going to use a fullback every now and then, but they are, he wants to control the game, and then he's going to put it up and throw it around. But when you look around, young coordinators want to throw. They want to throw, 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 and you know that's a difficult balance. And so we don't know. We don't know what Tommy is really going to be, and who he's going to be a, as a coordinator, and what his philosophy is going to be. You know, they, they brought Harry Heastan back, which I thought was a was a great move for him to get him back because he he does a great job to me of, of teaching uh, those offensive linemen and, and they love him and they play hard for him. Uh, so I think that's going to help. And but you still, you know, the East West stuff, I, I just don't know. Uh, I just don't know if you can find that great that great Heisman Trophy runner that's going to be able to sit there. I think most. Most teams right now are trying to find the, the best quarterback they can find. The challenge with that one is now is that, man, you got to identify that guy as a sophomore. You, you got to identify him. Now, there are going to be some guys that develop late, but the, the ones that are that are stepping on to the field right away, you, you better identify them right away uh, to be able to work work that, that process, that whole recruiting process uh, because they're, you know, they're committing earlier. Those relationships are built much earlier. So you've got to be able to, to find that guy. So, you know, I don't know what the balance is going to be. Uh, you know, they'll all sit around and tell you they want to be 50-50, but that, that's not where they want to be because they know the next job, uh, they need to be considered a genius. And the geniuses throw it around. And, you know, I'm sure Tommy wants to continue to throw it, but he's got to make sure, you know, he's committed to that run game uh, to make that work as well. So I got to ask you a question, man. Tom Brady made it official this morning, right, that he's officially retired from the NFL. We've had talks. I'm from a different era, so I look at the quarterback situation. I I see the value that the NFL with rule changes has allowed the value of the quarterback position to be elevated. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that a, a younger generation might not realize when they're looking at stats and they're looking at guys like Marino, Elway. And so I was talking about his retirement this morning. I gave him all his flowers and I'm like, rightfully so. He's done everything to deserve to be called the greatest quarterback of all time. And I was like, at this point, I, I won't argue with anyone that refers <laughs> to him as that. But I threw out this nuance. I said the position is so nuanced, and I think people don't understand how nuanced it is. 
I said because athletes like Kobe Bryant and Tom Brady were in rarefied air where they were able to learn how to win and build their resumes before they became great. And I was like, that doesn't happen in mm -hmm. professional sports. Like when you're allowed to do that and still get to a level where you're great, the sky's the limit because now you're playing with house money. I said the one thing that Tom Brady wasn't built to do is what I saw John Elway do, which is physically walk in the building and change the entire organization. Mm -hmm. I was like, it, you'll never see anybody do anything like that. It's almost similar to what Joe Burrow has done for Cincinnati. He walked in the building and yeah. the arc and the trajectory of that entire organization went up because of him. And so when you look at that, you look at guys like that and you talk about the quarterback position, we know Elway is the GOAT. But for people that are watching us right now, how should they properly look at not only the modern-day quarterbacks, but go back in time and properly look at guys like Elway, Marino, that literally just walked in the building and from day one, the organization was changed because they were that good. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of those. It's always difficult. You know, it's like, it's like who's the top five rappers, right? You ask me, I'm gonna give you a different five than if you ask my son. Right, um, right. You say who's the best running back to ever play the game? You know, people throw out Jim Brown. Most people now have don't even haven't seen Jim Brown run the ball. Right. Uh, so it's so difficult. But I'll say this: when you look at what Tom Brady has been able to do keep in mind that you talk about changing the trajectory i mean he changed that entire organization but i think you you did a good job by mentioning he had a chance to learn early and then his his longevity in the game is his preparation uh, being able to stay healthy for the most part yeah. uh, has been able to allow him to in my opinion you're talking about one of the greatest professional athletes of any sport. I mean, in the world. I mean, that's what he's been able to accomplish. You know, there are guys that are that are have more talent, arm strength, more athleticism, all of that stuff. But to be able to do it with the the caliber of players that he had has had um that have fit the system, his system perfectly, uh it is to me, what has been so uh, so great to really watch, and I think that's part of his greatness, is that he's been able to play inside of systems that really suited him, and the organization was able to bring in the right players that suit the system. Because I say all the time, probably 95, 96% of the players in, in the NFL have to be in the right system to be able to, to be able to be good. The rest of us, the rest of them, man, you got a few guys that you can drop in here and there, but it but it doesn't really work. And that's what you've been able to watch him do. And, and you talk about, you know, being able to you know, people talk about the culture, you know, like all of a sudden you go to New England, it's this, you know, this culture. No, it, they were winning. They were winning. It wasn't that, you know, a guy is necessarily going to conform or change who he is. He's just going to, you know, okay, I'm going to do the best job I can. I, we win over here. This is what they're doing to win, so I want to win. Right. I want to win. I want to keep getting paid. I mean, what? What are we doing? There are just a few players that we've seen uh, that 
seem to can't get right no matter where they go. And they are immensely talented and, you know, they find themselves, you know, always in trouble because they're trying to do their own thing. You know, football's the ultimate team game. You got to buy in. You really got to be able to check your ego at the door and, and know that you got to do the best thing to help your team move forward. And, you know, Tom Brady has been able to do that, uh, you know, in both of those franchises and really has, has changed the perspective of, of how people view you know, Tampa. And I think Tony Dungy had a lot to do with that. First of all, let me make sure he gets the right credit because he did an unbelievable job there as well of really setting what that culture is about. But then Tom came in and, you know, put him in position to to do great things. And, you know, that's why, in my opinion, he's one of the best professional uh, players of, of all time. And it, it'll be hard to see guys like him and, and Kobe to believe you can see guys that are but even be anywhere near, you know, the rarefied air that those guys are in. And you watch, you know, LeBron James physically, you know, goes out and gets it done. And I know people talk about, well, he's created these super teams and that's different, but hell, he still has to be out there playing. And and he, he looks like he's not slowing down all that much right now. Talked about wanting to play with his son. He's probably what, two years away from, uh, being able to play with his son uh, at the professional level. So, man, it's it's crazy, and it, it's unbelievable to watch these kind of guys uh, go out and perform on a on the, on the biggest stages and still be able to have the great success that they're having. All right. Give us the inside scoop, bro. I know you've been on the phone with your boy out there in Denver. <laughs> Did he fly Aaron Rodgers out yet? <laughs> Man, you know, here's the interesting thing about that, that Aaron Rodgers thing. I think sometimes people forget that he's still under contract. Sure. And whoever gets his services, if they're able to do it, they're going to have to give up yeah. a whole lot to get them. So is there are there going to be enough players still available to for them to make a run? I think that's the, that's the other big challenge. I mean, you're going to give up. Several first-round picks for him, but we've seen we've seen this thing happen with Matthew Stafford, and he's got his team in the Super Bowl. They gave up the picks, and look where they are. But that was a team that was already from uh, ready to go, yeah, ready to go. So I think you know it's a little different situation. It's gonna be just like retire and then come back just to get picked up by Denver. He he might do that, but if I was Green Bay and he did that, I put him on the retirement uh, list. That way, he can't go anywhere, <laughs> and I'm still going to be compensated. So uh, it's going to be tricky. It's, it's it's fascinating to see where he could be. You know, people have thrown Tampa out there, but Tampa's got you know so many uh, free agency free agents right now that the team won't be necessarily be the right team. You know, could he go to a Pittsburgh? Uh, you know, could he go to Tennessee? I mean, there's so many options out there. It's going to be interesting, but uh, wherever he goes, he's obviously going to going to hurt, help that team out immensely uh, from day one. Lucky Lucky Podcast, Howard Griffin from the Big Ten Network on with us. Before we let you go, last question. Please, please let, you know, I'm surrounded by Ohio dudes on this Notre Dame coaching staff. <laughs> I have to do a show with the dude that's constantly talking Dayton, Ohio in my ear. If you look at the coaching staff, if you really look at the coaching staff, you're saying to yourself, like, this dude is really building a Jim Trestle-type coaching staff with, with the Ohio influence. Mm -hmm. So 
let this dude know <laughs> what the greatest city in the world is. Because I get tired of all this Ohio stuff. He tries to bring up hot dog carts and dating. I'm like, come on, man, you do. Let, let, let the people know what the greatest city in the world is. How? I mean, Malik knows. I mean, I'm sure he spent some time here in Chicago. Absolutely. Some weekends. I know he spent time here. So he knows it's the greatest city. I mean, do we have some bad months like the ones we're having right now? Right now? Yeah. Of course. Do we have a little bit of crime going on every we day? We got all of that. But come on now. Dayton, come on, stop it. The birthplace of aviation? You talk about that place, the birthplace of aviation? In, 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 in. We kick off the March Madness every year at University of Dayton. We bring in dignitaries, you know, humanitarians, you know. Listen, oh, I'm sure Dayton is a great, great place, but we probably should not talk about Dayton versus Chicago. I would probably not get in the middle of that one. <laughs> The next time you all have a five-star wide receiver that the fan base really wants bad, let me know. <laughs> we do you one better and give you a head coach that everybody wants. Woo! Yeah. Hey, got you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you faded me on that one. You got you. Man, you know how much money people were throwing around to him just to be a defensive coordinator? I mean, they everybody wanted yeah. that dude, man. He Dude's. had the... Dude, he had – he could pretty much name his price. I mean, he had Are that – Tucker? Yeah, he, he had that type of juice. That, that was as a coordinator. Yeah, that was a, that, as a coordinator. You know, that it was oh, – yeah, right. you, you think Ohio State didn't want him to come coordinate their defense? He, he, didn't, he didn't win over there. He yeah, he's like, ah, there were too many other things, some other factors there, but – Look, man, that dude's going. Like I said, man, he he's going to be a superstar. I'm really looking forward to it, and it's going to be a hell of a game. It's Ohio State and Notre Dame to kick things off. Safe, so, to, say, um, safe to say, you guys will be on set in Columbus. Oh yeah, well, yeah, we won't be we won't be missing that one. Actually, I'm I'm going. I've been pitching this feature uh, because there's so many connections. The whole Dayton connection and and Trestle and Luke and. I'm trying to get us to do this 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 whole feature on them because I think you know it's so many ties and I know it's Notre Dame but there's so many ties. I mean, James Laurinaitis is over there and he's got a big part of uh, of what the what that team's going to look like defensively. Although he's an analyst or an assistant to the assistant, to the, that right. dude's going to have a major part on what that linebacker room looks like and how they go out and play. And I've been on James's butt for the longest that he needed to be in coaching. And he finally uh, got the right situation to make it happen. Yo, when everything started going down, I told Malik, I said, man, look. I said, I know that uh, certain coaches stayed before uh, Marcus Freeman took the job. I said, but I guarantee you, he's going to get his boys around him. Like, you, you better no. believe that. Oh, yeah. Like, you pretty much backed that up saying, yo, he's yeah. trying to get people that he can trust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going into this job with cats that are gonna have my back. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you what. I'll tell you this quick story. Um, you know, when you look at Josh Gaddis, who came from Alabama, went to, to Michigan, was the the offensive coordinator. He went. He became the offense coordinator, and nobody in that room knew what he was talking about. Right. right. So he didn't have other people in that room to help him 
you know, get the information out, coach the other positions, do that kind of stuff. So his first couple of years, he really struggled um, of getting, you know, the right play calls, getting the right stuff going. Now, you know, he's got himself rolling with that offense. And, and I'm going to tell you this, if Coach Harbaugh decides that he's going to take another job, he is going to be in the mix, not as a token interview. None of that. He's going to be in the mix, I think, to be the next head coach at Michigan. He'll be heavily considered for that position, I believe, if it became open. Yeah, I heard from somebody else that covers the program that said him and Mike Hart were both going to get interviews for that position. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Mark, uh, Mike Hart's probably still a little bit of ways. Uh, way uh, and again it's a huge job and I'm not saying you know you need to be a coordinator to do it you know Urban Meyer became a head coach without being a coordinator so I'm not saying they can't be doing it. and I know I'm using somebody that's just picking a guy out that's had a great deal of success but I think when you look at you know you look at Josh and all the places that he's been uh, and some of the guys that he's coached under I think he's he would probably be ahead of, of Mike in that situation um, but listen, the job still has to open up for, for Josh Gaddis to get it, but I would be pulling for him uh, to get that job if it does. Yo, it's okay for you to send a little KRS-One, a little Nas, <laughs> you know, Big Daddy IU. Just send the links up because, you know, you don't have to send them the tapes. We don't do that anymore. Just send the YouTube link to Houston just to school them a little bit. Just school them a little bit. A little bit. Get it so right. Listening to Young Boy NBA and all these cats that he might love right now, just just educate them. It's Black History Month. You have to educate. I know, right? Yeah. The scary thing right now is, you know, he's got me listening to some stuff that I'm like, okay. <laughs> what's the what's the one artist he has you listening to that you like? Just rubbing your head like I cannot believe I'm. I gotta pull it up. I gotta find it, man. It is. It is I mean, the dude. It is. This dude has me listening to all kind of mess. Um, shoot. I'm gonna have to text you with it, but it's it's crazy. It's something he's giving. Uh, he's just giving you a little bit of that culture, man. Just a little bit of that. You ain't <laughs> little culture. Yeah, please, please. I you know that culture. Look, I man, know. He said, if you come it's... up on campus, Dad, you start hearing this music. You gotta hear a couple words or something. You know, you gotta, you gotta sing along or something. You gotta be able to sing along with that. Oh my, Gunner, that's who he got me listening to. Right. Okay. Gunner right. is, is acceptable. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go too hard on Gunner. I'm not a okay. young boy NBA fan like most of these guys. Gunner <laughs> is acceptable. I, I, I like Griselda. Okay. They're pretty much an old school vibe. They're just yeah. modern hip hop guys. You know, I. The, uh, I'm just tired of the young thugs and the, the babies and young, hey, hey, young, hey, hey, young thug like, is a great composer. Say he's he a composer. He said he's a composer. You see what I deal with every day? There you go. There you go. Hey, that's why people watch. That's why they watch. You got something for everybody. Lucky Lefty Podcast. Don't forget, man. Follow Howard at Howard Griffith on Twitter and Instagram. Big Ten Network. Are you guys getting ready for your uh, road trip for the spring? Oh, we still a few, probably a month away maybe um, before we start doing that. Um, hopefully this COVID stuff keeps going down. It kind of slowed us down the last couple of springs. So hopefully that stuff's under control, yeah. uh, gets under control, and we can start to move around a little bit more. Yeah. Yo, you think it's unfair? Kelly left early. 
Harbaugh more than likely is going to leave after National Signing Day. Is, is that unfair to recruit? That's just my only concern, like how fair it is to recruit. Yeah, and I think that's what – is it unfair? Yeah, it's unfair. I mean, because, okay. you know, you know, listen, people will tell you all day long, you know, choose, choose the place you're going so you see yourself there uh, no matter who the coach is. And, yeah, some of that's true, but when it's – when it's you, when you're that 17, 18 year old uh, young person that's chosen a place because you were, you not only enjoyed the place, but you know, you you bought into the place because of the people that were there. Makes them makes a change. I mean that you know that affects it. But you know we got the transfer rule, the transfer portals in place. That's another whole discussion. I mean it, it works in some situations and it doesn't work in others. And you know I think the players just need to really be informed before they jump into it because it, once you jump into it there are no guarantees oh, that's all. Uh, that you can come back or that there's even going to be a scholarship or a place for you to land so you know i think that sometimes you know players make emotional decisions and i, I get it a lot of it but you know that's where to me they have to have a support system that's going to be there it's going to allow them to to kind of settle down and and somebody that can be even keeled so now you can have a conversation about it but it, it, it's tough out there because everybody believes that they can play and they all believe that they want to go to a place that's better than where they left. But that's not always the case for a lot of these young men and women that decide to enter. Big bro, we appreciate you joining us today, my man. Hey, I appreciate it too. Malik, really enjoyed your career, man. Glad things are working out for you and uh, continued success with the podcast. Same to you, man. And look, we're going to check out you on the road. We're going to check you out moving forward. <laughs> And I know we're going to talk more Notre Dame in the future. Sounds good, fellas. Have a great day and watch out for all the snow. <laughs> LL Nation, that was Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network right here. Hey, we spin it different. The Lucky Lefty Podcast, bro. He had, man, he gave, I don't know if it was a low-key peek into certain things that were happening. Day, but. Yeah, it was hard not to think that he was talking specific, non-specifically. Yeah, it was like, okay, he's spilling a little tea right here. I didn't expect that, but, you know, I just threw the question out there to see what would happen, and we got what we got. You know what time it is. You know what time it is. Petticoat. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Now, are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty historic Petty Junction? right every day petty junction right here lucky lefty podcast bro you might call me petty after this one, okay first of all thank you for the super chat nwjr plj jaguar we appreciate you thank you for tapping in petty junction each and every day and uh asap rocky is on the petty train my dude it didn't have don't to do it, man. What it is. 
Don't it, tell me you think it's for fit. Don't tell me. Come on, man. Don't, don't tell me. ASAP Rocky, dude? Come on, man. Look, man. Look. First of all, first of all, on some real, on some real, some real G stuff, tip of the cap to ASAP Rocky for shooting up the club, number one. Tip of the clap. Tip of the cap to you ASAP, because, yo. Then you don't get the chance. Then you don't get the chance. <laughs> like, yo. But I mean, come on, man. Ree, Ree was, that's my girl, man. That's my girl. <laughs> hey, sometimes when you love them, you gotta let them go. You gotta right. let them go. <laughs> so today I was like, I gotta put ASAP. Part of me is like, man, this cat ASAP has to go on the petty train, my dude. Cause I he just he just not good enough. <laughs> man, I saw that belly yesterday. I was like, oh. but you knew it was coming. You know, they've been together a while, and uh, and entertainment. You know, <laughs> Royal Finger said ASAP secured the bag. He definitely. He definitely secured the bag. Big, big mega bag, legendary bag. He got it. Yeah, and also, look, Brian Kelly. We told he's always gonna be on the petty train. Yeah. What was worse? But this is his second dance video, and I think the second one is worse than the first one. The first one was with Walker Howard. The second one was the second one was outright, dude. When you have other coaches in the SEC retweeting it, saying, come on, fam. When you're getting paid $100 million. <laughs> You'll do whatever. He ain't even started spring ball yet. <laughs> and then went viral four or five times. Right. Because he right. don't know how to handle money. That cap. Dude, that cat Lane Kiffin was like, really? Really, dude? Is there something we need to talk about? Yo, we just, I think Coach Kelly is letting his hair down like when Tom Brady went to Tampa. <laughs> you think so? Because I don't get it. He, he act like he got a new lease on life. And, yo, shout out to the idiots that – have caused the FBI to get involved. Multiple bomb threats reported at HBCU universities across the nation. I look, man. I don't have time for it. It's the first day I mean, of Black shoot, History Month. I hope it was true. Hopefully, they throw some money at it to rebuild it. But I'm just, I'm just saying, man. I don't. It's 2022, man. Move off of that energy, dude. Just move off of it. Like, we're in a country, we're in a world where everybody has differences. We look different. We grow up different. We think different. But guess what? We all have to live the same. We can't live without oxygen. There's nobody in this world that can live without oxygen. So I don't care what side of the politics you look. Life is life. Respect life. Embrace it. And cherish every moment and every breath you have, man, because life is way too short. And I don't have time to waste my waste energy on the differences that I have with another human being. I just don't, man. 
I, I don't. So let's move off of that. that. That right there is just extreme pettiness. If you're still on that same energy, you're super petty. Come on, fellas. Come on, people. You're super petty if you're still on that same energy for whatever reason. Politics, race, whatever. Get off of that, man. Come on, let's do better. Oh, and Jeff Garcia. That chump, he activated his Twitter after the game Sunday. You uh -oh. soft, dude. You mad soft. You yeah. came to Mina Kimes like the Hulk. And when she tweeted out, you know, her conceited gif after the game, like, you know the gif I'm talking about. Conceited yeah, from, yeah, that gif right there. She tweeted that out after the game. And this dude deactivated his Twitter. You soft, dude. You real don't soft. Run from it. Don't run. Don't, don't run. run. You put it out there. Don't run. Sometimes you don't want to show up because you were wrong. I didn't want to come on here Monday morning and say I was wrong about the Chiefs. Oh yeah. But that that was that was much needed though. No, you called me with 15 seconds left in overtime. I picked up the phone, didn't I? And you know, I respect that because you know, at the end of the day, when you messing with them Bengals down there, it's a lot of camaraderie that, that happens after. You know, it's like the little kid you thought you was gonna beat up in high school, and then he messed around and he actually knows karate and beat you up in front of the school, and then you like, all right, you got me, guy. Right. They you know to make my bungle now. You know, that's all, man. Lucky Lefty Podcast, don't forget available on Apple Podcasts as well. If you search A2S Network, you'll see it right there. All of our previous podcasts, go subscribe to the Lucky Lefty Podcast on A2S Network. Hit the like button, everybody. It's 195 in here. Hit the like button now. We just had, man, that interview that Howard Griffith just gave us with Intel from inside the program, background of Marcus Freeman and what he's doing with the coaching staff. You don't get it anywhere else. We spend it different right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. What other podcast has Julian Uckward scheduled? You know, calls an audible at the line because he needs a schedule change. And the next thing you know, we give you Howard Griffith. Hey, when you spend it different, you spend it all type of ways. That's what that's what we do. It's the Lucky Lefty Podcast. But my boy. The original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire. Don't forget, we are brought to you and featuring Anora Whiskey, AnoraWhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey only at AnoraWhiskey.com. I can't wait to take double shots when it hits double zeros in Columbus and we got that dub. That's what I'm waiting for. That's the next, that's the first time I taste Anora Whiskey. When we walk out of the horseshoe with a dub. Dub. A it's dub. gonna be a great feeling. Columbus is gonna be on fire. For Malik, I'm SD2 Mike Sean Davis. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Don't forget, as always, spend it different today. We'll see you tomorrow.